0: Take your seat this evening. Well, yeah, there's a famous truth that I think I quoted in the prayer. It's a one-liner that God's kindness leads us to repentance. That's an amazing truth out of Romans chapter 2 and verse 4. That, you know, it's not his anger. It's his kindness and goodness and grace uh, because he loves us. And so, boy, is he being kind right now to Joseph ten brothers uh, because he is turning up the heat and he wants them to repent they're as guilty as the sin they have committed against their younger brother a quick overview um, went out of jealousy they brutalized him right attempted to kill him ultimately sold him to slave traders who kidnapped him and took him away from his homeland to the land of egypt uh, then they went home, these ten thug brothers, and deceived, <laughs> deceived their, deceived their father into thinking that Joseph was mauled to death, and produced his robe of many colors and turned it mostly red uh, by the blood of some goat that they slaughtered and probably had for dinner, uh, <laughs> while poor Joseph was pleading for his life, and all in a ruse to kind of suggests that uh, Joseph, his beloved favored son, was ravaged by some animal. And so then the brothers cried a bunch of fake tears. They won an Emmy that year for their performance. (laughs) I don't know. It doesn't say that in the text, but we assume it's possible. Happily, they go on with their lives. Uh, rid themselves of their father's favorite, uh, thinking no one will ever know. But 23 years later, someone did know and was helping them to confess their sin and turn from it. God knew every little deep and dark secret that they were carrying for two plus decades there. Uh, But he wants to make it right for them. He wants the good for them. And so in kindness, he's turning up the heat. He's set it to broil. And uh, now they are just upside down, inside out. They don't know uh, what's going on. But he wants them to do this. He wants all of us to do it. To connect their suffering to their guilt and their sin. And to shut off their cell phones when they're in church. That's all he's asking for right there. <laughs> to connect their suffering with their guilt and their sin so that they confess to relieve and alleviate the pressure on them. That's what God does and that's what it takes sometimes. So uh, he's got to get them to Egypt and uh, the famine is the hook that does that because there's food uh, and relief in Egypt. And so uh, where Joseph of course is the prime minister, right? Uh, That's what God did. He raised him up. So, okay, that brings us to last time. And last time context now before we dive in and and cover two chapters. Uh, The brothers arrived at the distribution center there in Cairo, and uh, Joseph recognized them. They didn't recognize him because he went from being 17 to 40. In the time he'd been gone, he's speaking Egyptian through an interpreter. He's clean-shaven. They don't have a clue. But he does. And so let the games begin, because he's going to give them a ride (laughs) for uh, their lives. And so uh, before they can be reconciled, it's not just a quick, oh, we tried to kill you. We're so sorry. Let's go home and hug dad. You know, it's going to take a little bit more than that. And those who sin in egregious ways, uh, they, they tend to want it to be over like that. Sorry doesn't work that way. Uh, we've got some years in the making here. Uh, so they've got to own the truth, take responsibility. A profound work of God deep inside has to happen. So uh, they, get, they get to Egypt and Joseph speaks harshly, uh, interrogates them, finds out About his brother at home and his father, and accuses them of a capital crime. That means they can die for being spies, and incarcerates them, lets them think long and hard God's working, God's working, and uh, demanding that they return to Canaan and go get Benjamin, my brother, he doesn't say my brother, get Benjamin or die. So uh, he takes one of the brothers hostage and sends the rest home to dad. And on their way home, they get the big epiphany. And so God's moving them along quite well. Uh, They say to one another, oh, my word, this is what we deserve. We're getting our our, our punishment now for sinning against our brother. He's caught us. God has caught us red-handed. Joseph begged us for, uh, in terror, pleading with us for his life. And we just mocked him. And we did it anyway. Now we've got to pay so that's a good, good step for them. So they arrive back in Israel, and they tell Dad the whole wretch's story. Yeah, we got the grain, but we left a brother behind uh, as a ransom. Uh, Dad, the guy in charge of Egypt is crazy. He demanded to see Benjamin, of all things. And we're going to starve to death if we don't produce him. And he'll probably kill Simeon, who he's holding as a guarantor. Dad's response response was, that's fine. Simeon's expendable. (laughs) Nobody's touching Benjamin. Oh, I don't care. We can starve to death. You're not taking my last vestige of my sweet late wife, Rachel. The last one. She gave me two sons, as you recall. One is dead and gone. Joseph pauses. And his brother... Benjamin's all I've got left, so no way, Jose. And so, well, the prime minister made sure that they had enough foodstuffs uh, so that the sense of urgency wasn't right on Jacob so he could buy some time and just kind of dawdle around and say, no, I don't want to, I'm not going to. And so verse 1, let's dive in. Now the famine was still severe in the land, even though Joseph was in denial. He's not budging. He's not giving Benjamin up. So when they had eaten all the grain they had brought from Egypt, their father said to them, "Uh, go back and buy us a little more food. But Judah said to him, Dad, the man warned us solemnly, you will not see my face again unless your brother Benjamin is with you. If you send our brother along with us, yeah, we'll go down and buy food for you. But if you don't send him, we're not going. Because the man said, you're not going to see my face unless your brother is with you. So, you know, here it is. (laughs) God would like to move them all along in the story. But sometimes we don't cooperate because we're not listen, trusting in the Lord with all our heart we're leaning on our own understanding and that's what Jacob is doing he's stuck and he's slowing the chapter down I've got a note in here don't slow the chapter down you want to speed it up amen especially if it's a hot chapter where you're uh, feeling the heat right so God has a good plan for all of us but sometimes the road gets bumpy and it demands listen that we exercise faith And we have to trust God when providence takes our lives and forces us uh, into a place we'd rather not go. That's what's happening here uh, to Jacob. Now God is using necessity to force God's will on Jacob and all of them to do something Jacob would normally never do. So here's the reality, what's in front of you there. God is trying to help Jacob, but Jacob doesn't see it that way. God's resisting, Uh, he's resisting God I should say and Jacob's probably praying for a miraculous ending to the famine and hugely disappointed when the last cups are going out and there's no other way that's coming through and it's just one more piece of evidence that quote everything is against me, you remember he said that last chapter so we tend to um, I think that uh, you know we we tend to assume the worst, while God is intending something wonderful in our troubles, and uh, He wants to put them on the road to life. And He's He's saying, "No, I don't want to." Yeah, I know it's quiet for a reason. Because he's talking to us, right? Jacob is, is, his name means trickster, and he's been kind of a manipulator his whole life. And so he, he's going to try to circumnavigate God's plan, verse two, uh, like he's been doing all his life. So uh, he needs to be in control. We'll trick and deceive. Go and get the food without uh, Ben suggesting we'll bargain, we'll, we'll kind of sidestep what the uncomfortable part that God seems to be wanting. We'll negotiate. We'll sweet-talk the guy. Uh, disguise yourselves, maybe, he's saying. Uh, bring lots of cash, because if they disguise themselves, you know, they'll get the grain. But they don't have to produce uh, Benjamin. Anything but do the hard thing that God seems want done. So he says in verse 5, Dad, don't bother. We're not making the trip if bro-bro isn't with us. All right? That's what they used to call him. He's the little guy. Verse (laughs) 6, Israel asked, see, his name is Jacob. It gets changed to Israel, and his descendants are the children of Israel, you see. Israel asked, why would you bring this trouble on me by telling the guy that you had another brother? They replied, the man questioned us, Dad, closely about ourselves and our family. Is your father still living? He asked, do you have another brother? we simply answer the questions. How would we ever know in a million years he'd say, bring your brother down here to me in Egypt? (laughs) Then Judah said to Israel, his father, send the boy along with me and we'll go at once so that we and you and our children may live and not die. Dad, we're dying. Come on. I myself will guarantee his safety. You can hold me personally responsible for him. If I don't bring him home back safe, uh, you set him here before you, I'll bear the blame before you all my life. As it is, if we had it delayed, we could have gone there and returned uh, twice. And so, yeah, uh, woe is me. That is the Jew- <laughs> Jacob Senior Jewish anthem. Uh, another way of putting it would be oy vey. You know, because he's not in a good place. We talked about this last time. He's in a season of depression. Faith is out the window. Fear and insecurity. That's what he's all about right now. So, he, you know, and why? He's self-absorbed, you know? Why do you bring, and, and self-absorbed, depressed people like to blame other people, everybody else, for all of their troubles. And so that's, uh, uh, depression's a byproduct of self-focus. That's what happens, you know, because we weren't designed for this inward focus. We're not designed that way. It's against the owner's manual. So when you try to drive your car to Hawaii, you're in trouble because the car wasn't designed to do that. You see, and when you're all about you, you're driving your car to Hawaii. You're taking on water, and you're complaining, what's wrong? What am I doing wrong? You're doing what's wrong is because you're all about yourself. And focusing on fear and selfish ambition when there's a God who made you and loves you and wants you to do his will. And so he says, how could you, in the Hebrew, how could you do me wrong like that? Verse 6 there. And he says, how are we supposed to know that this guy is so bizarre and strangely Obsessed with our younger brother and you. He asks about you every five seconds. And how's my dad? Is he still alive? Yeah, same as five minutes ago when you asked. You, there's about ten times. How's my dad? How's your dad? I mean, you know. how would we supposed to know? So Judah convinces dad where Reuben last chapter he tried if you recall, and in verses 8 and following, uh, it's understandable why last time Reuben said, hey, listen, Dad, give me Benjamin. If I don't come back, you can kill both my kids. And both the boys are sitting there. Thanks, Dad. <laughs> now, it's understandable why he's going to go with Judah and not Reuben. Reuben had not let's soften the language he had an, a moral indiscretion with Jacob's one of Jacob's wives. One of his half-brother's mom. He had a fling with her. So Jacob, not known for being so gracious right now, has held that against him. So no way, you're not Jacob Benjamin. Now Judah says i don't put in my kids at risk i'll take it i'll put myself at risk and so uh he is prepared uh to and he says look dad we could have been there back there back and uh verse 11. then their father israel said to them if it must be then do this put some of the best products in the land in your bags and take them down to the man as a gift notice They're not drought-affected products. They're dry goods that don't need a lot of water. All right, so a little balm, a little resin, a little honey, some dried spices and myrrh, some pistachio nuts they probably have in the store, storage, (laughs) in store. Mm. And almonds. Take double the amount of silver with you, for you better return the silver that was put back in your mouths of your sacks. Maybe it was a mistake. And in the Hebrew, it, it says, on your part or, the, or theirs. <laughs> Verse 13, take your brother also. OK, about Benjamin, yeah, take him. Go to the man at once. Go, go. And may God Almighty, whoo, a rare occurrence a prayer. <laughs> May God grant you mercy before the man so that he will let your other brother, not even name him. He's not the best dad that ever lived. And let your other brother, what was his name again? Uh, Oh, and Benjamin come back with you. As for me, if I'm bereaved, I'm bereaved. That is 100% Jewish right there. (laughs) If I'm bereaved, I'm bereaved. So dad gives in. What other options does he have? His clothes don't fit, and the hunger pangs won't quit. And so notice uh, notice the respect for the paternal head of house. The brothers don't just say, Dad, you know what? Guess what? We're taking him. Go to bed. He goes to bed, and they take him. Or Benjamin says, let's go. Our lives depend on it. Come on. Dad will forgive us. They do not go. Life and death on the line unless they get dad's consent. That's kind of amazing. Uh, Jacob realizes his hands are tied. And so he says, do it, but be smart. Bring with you these best uh, products. And so, yeah, the Proverbs say this in 19 and verse 6 of Proverbs. Everyone is the friend of a person who gives gifts. Um, so that's smart. Bring some sweet goodies there. And who, who doesn't like receiving gifts Maybe it will soften the Prime Minister's heart like it softened his brother uh, his brother Esau. You know, do you remember that back in genesis thirty three? Uh, Esau wanted to kill him, his twin brother, because he deceived him and took his birthright. He didn't want it anyway, but that's not the point. <laughs> you know, so he's going to kill him. so when they met uh, for uh, Jacob had sent. Layers and layers of gifts before uh, they confronted one another. So you know, he gets the idea again, bring a lot of gifts. It you know, worked work for me in the past. And Jacob reminds, uh, "Don't forget about the money, bring double, you know. And then, yeah, bring your baby brother. You know, he's 37. <laughs> he, he's 37. Benjamin's 37, and Joseph is 40. But he talks about him like he's a little kid. Why? Because he's kind of trying to hang on to Rachel through this little boy. He doesn't want him to grow up. But he's trying to get what he needs to get from God from his son, and that's disastrous. And I told you last week, if you try to do that with your spouse, uh, it's not going to be good. Uh, Get what you need from God. because. That's the way God designed it. Take the pressure off everybody else. Take the pressure off Benjamin. Take it off him. Everybody will thank you. And then he offers a, a, a prayer. <laughs> Too bad it had to practically had to be beaten out of him. Uh, verse 14. Oh, yeah, God. Oh, yeah. And may, you know, have you ever said this or heard this? You know, we we mean it. We mean it well, meaning uh, we say, oh, it got so bad. You know, we couldn't do anything. We just had to pray. Think about that. (laughs) It got so bad. We just prayed. I mean, seriously. I mean, perhaps if we started praying at the beginning of the trouble, fervently, it would have shortened the duration and mitigated the intensity Uh, So he invokes the name El Shaddai, which Amy Grant made popular. Nobody would ever know that name until we were all singing it in the 80s. Uh, It means God Almighty. It means God All-Powerful. It's used seven times in the Old Testament. God's the one who introduced it. When he introduced it to Abram, Jacob's grandpa, Uh, when he was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram. And he said to him, I am God Almighty, means I am El Shaddai. Walk before me and be blameless. I love the connection. I'm I'm, I'm ultimately the all-powerful. I am the ultimate authority. Therefore, (laughs) walk right with me. That makes sense. I think that's sufficient reason to take uh, our relationship with God seriously. I think, you know, when he says, I'm God Almighty, is God Almighty really someone you want to mess around with? I don't think so, but we do. A glimpse of uh, faith here, it's refreshing, it doesn't last very long. So he says, look, the reality isn't up to you guys and it's not up to the gifts that you bring but may the all-powerful one uh, show us mercy. And so it doesn't last long, like I said, because now he is uh, that pessimistic resignation of his. As for me, if I'm devastated, I'll be devastated. Why couldn't you say, you know, why couldn't you say, hey, guys, listen, God is good. He's been good to me all my life, and he has been good to that man. God's been good all our lives. He's gotten us out of so many jams, and he had. (laughs) There's chapters and chapters and chapters showing that. God's love endures forever. Let's believe him for success, boys. No, if if I'm bereaved, I'm bereaved. (laughs) Whatever, verses 15 through 17. I have written down here, evidence from scripture and experience from our lives should cause us to hope rather than to be pessimistic. Verses 15 and following. So the men took the gifts, double them out the money, and Benjamin. They hurried down to Egypt and presented themselves to Joseph. When Joseph saw Benjamin with them, he said to the steward of the house, take these guys to my house. Slaughter an animal. It's devastating famine and drought. Nobody's eating meat. Kill the fatted calf. The prodigals have come. They are to eat with me at noon. The man did, as Joseph told him, and took the men to Joseph's house. So yeah, time to celebrate. Uh, Joseph sees his full brother. They, They share the same mom. And Rachel, as I've been saying over and over again, gave him two sons, Joseph. And as she gave him Benjamin, she died. So there's a lot of emotion here between the two full brothers, the only two full brothers in the story, really. Well, that's probably not true. But the only two full brothers to the one true love of Jacob's life. And so uh, what is Joseph thinking here? He's thinking, kill the fatted calf, this is it. is the big reveal. But here's the thing. The Holy Spirit's going to talk to his heart and say, sadly, there's just one more test they're not all the way cooked all the way through this repentance thing is is maybe at eight but it's not at ten and so uh, we're going to need uh some more chapters or one chapter more actually um Uh, so Joseph instructs his attendant to prepare the banquet with allusions as I mentioned to the prodigal son because things are getting close uh, to reconciliation with the father and with the family. Verse 18, now the men were frightened when they were taken to the governor's estate. (laughs) They thought "Here, here it is, here's real faith. We were brought here because of the silver that was put back in our sacks the first time. He wants to attack us and overpower us and seize us as slaves and take away our donkeys. So they went up to Joseph's steward at the door and spoke to him at the entrance. And we beg your pardon, our Lord. They said we came down here the first time to buy food. But at the place where we stopped for the night we opened our sacks and each of us found our silver, the exact weight in the mouth of the sack. So just say, oh know." here it is. We have it with us we've, and we've got additional money to buy more food and we don't know how or we don't know who put the silver in our sacks. So no takers, guilty consciences, always expect the worst they will twist and see an act of kindness as intention to do harm. Because when you're living a double life and suppressing things and walking around trying to cover yourself, uh, you're, just kind of, you're, you're just kind of warped the way you see life. And so what was meant for good, uh, they see as evil. Now, the 11 men don't know that... Um, ten guys right they don't know that joseph has spotted them right it's 11 yeah it's 11 sorry it's confusing it's like the vargas family there's there's 13 of them you know it's just hard so they 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 wonder uh why they're being brought to the prime minister's private residence and paranoia kicks in. Why? Paranoia is very close to you when you've got unconfessed sin in your life. Oh, it's right there. It must be a trick. Uh, we're all goners. There's, he's going to set an ambush. Seize us as slaves. and Make a quick getaway impossible. Take away our donkeys. Uh, listen to this and I hope you see this. No, actually guys all those things, all those verbs, that's what you did to your brother, every last one of them, word for word, verse 18 at the end. You attacked him, you overpowered him, you seized him, you sold him as a slave, and you took his donkey. You probably ate it for dinner. That's exactly, but that's the thing. Psychologists have a, a word for this. It's called projecting. What happens is they're projecting their character qualities on... Joseph. But Joseph's godly. Joseph's not going to do any of that. So uh, people without character think others behave just as they would in any given situation. So if you're prone to gossip and then you see somebody go off and they know something and they say, oh don't worry, I'm not going to tell anybody, you just say, oh yeah, right. Right. (laughs) Because, Because why? Because you wouldn't. You wouldn't keep the confidence. So you're not thinking they are. And so in your mind, even though they are keeping confidence, you've written it off. You've already decided. Because based on, you know, if you talk bad about people, that's how you think people are, are doing it. If, you are, if you're one to hold a grudge when you offend somebody, you're thinking, oh, no way they've ever forgiven me. Why? Because that's how you are. But who's to say what they're like? Yeah, less projecting, more cutting people's slack. Uh, so there's panic in the foyer. Uh, they, they, they go up to him and say, listen, if, if this is going bad and you guys are setting a trap for us, just know. About the silver thing, we, we don't know anything about it. And so here's what the steward re- replies, 23 to 25. It's all right, he said. Don't be afraid. Your God, the God of your father at home, Jacob, Israel, the father I've been hearing about from you guys, that God has given you treasure. The word is not money. It's like buried treasure. He's done this thing, this amazing thing for you. And he put buried treasure in there for you guys. It's going to be okay. Then he brought Simeon out to them like, look, here's your brother. The steward took the men into Joseph's house, gave them water to wash their feet, and provided fodder for their donkeys. They prepared their gifts for Joseph's arrival at noon because they had heard that they were to eat there. So comfort in the midst of storm here. Uh, Joseph's steward has been told the this, this story. He's like BFFs with Joseph. And so Joseph probably let him in on a lot of things. And so he's kind of working his administration for Joseph. The brothers are bewildered by by this bizarre twist in the story. First, the governor threatening to kill them, speaking harshly. Now he's inviting us over to his estate for a lunchtime banquet. You know, what's going on here? And you know it's been a while since they smelled tri-tip on the barbecue, and ate to their heart's delight. Been a, a long time. And so all of this goodness coming with the steward, the right-hand man saying, it's okay. Kind of kind of taking them in confidence. It's going to be okay. God's at work. You're God. I'm not talking about the Egyptian gods. You're God. He's given you treasure. And let's wash your feet. You guys good. How about your donkeys? And so Nothing will unravel a guilty sinner than the perception that God is being merciful and kind in spite of bad behavior. Boy, that will just, they're being unraveled for sure. So they lay their gifts cards out on the table and await uh, for his grand entrance, verse 26 to 30. When Joseph came home, they presented to him the gifts they had brought into the house. They bowed down before him to the ground. They've done this on several occasions. They're not done yet either. The dream, the stars, bowing down to his star. He asked them how they were, and then again, How's your aged father you told me about? I know I asked you that you know every time I see you. Is he still living? They said, Your servant, our father, is still alive and well. And they bowed down again, just in case they didn't connect the dreams yet. They haven't prostrating themselves before him as he looked about and saw his brother Benjamin for the first time since he was thirteen. Benjamin was thirteen. He was 17. His own mother's son, he asked, is this the youngest one? He can't look at him. Is this the young one that you told me about? And then, God be gracious to you, my son. Just just kind of a uh, affectionate term. Deeply moved at the sight of his brother, Joseph hurried out and looked for a place to weep. He went into his private room and wept there. That is amazing. So... Remember the song from the 70s, Reunited, and it feels so good? (laughs) Well, not yet. (laughs) Not yet. Yes, he's feeling pretty excited, but the guys are like they've been riding Space Mountain. Those boys up and down and around and around until they're walking around like this. They really don't know which way is up. And and God kind of wants them to do that. And so... That's the way it goes sometimes, doesn't it? So uh, Joseph is uh, loving it of sorts. Uh, so the prime minister is speaking through an interpreter, asking polite questions about the family. He says, How's dad? I mean, how's your dad? Is he still alive? You know, uh, they bowed down twice again for the whole 12 stars thing. Uh, 11 stars thing. And then um, it happens. Joseph lays his eyes on the guy who looks like him. They're brothers. And this is the guy. And he says, may God's blessing be on your life, buddy. And so the moment's too much. He runs out of the room, you know, much to their shock, like where he's going in such a rush, uh, to find a quiet place where he can sob, And not be seen in public because it's most unusual for a ruler to cry in public. Rulers make other people cry in public. (laughs) Generally speaking, they're not the ones weeping. But Joseph wants to do an ugly cry. He's a man of God. I mean, can you imagine the explosion of emotion here? It's culminating everything. Seeing his little brother, now a grown man, having all of them together at one table. After 23 years, knowing God has taken the most painful thing in his life and, his, and before his very eyes is bringing resolve and brought them to him. And he knows about his dream and they're always bowing down and the Holy Spirit saying, See, the dream, the dream to Joseph, right? So Joseph's got all of this emotion that God Almighty is doing this beautiful thing in front of his own eyes the love of God in his heart, the thankfulness, the gratitude. I would go looking for a room. I don't think I'd ever come out, though. They'd like where, you know, the chapter would have to be uh, longer and longer waiting for me to uh, compose myself. So those tears are cathartic. They bring cleansing and healing and joy. The whole nasty ordeal is coming to a hopeful end. Verses 31 through 34, after he had washed his face, he came out and controlling himself said, serve the food. <laughs> they served him by himself, of course, the prime minister, the brothers by themselves, and the Egyptians love this, who ate with him uh, by themselves, because Egyptians could not eat with Hebrews, for that is detestable the to them excuse the Hebrews, Mr. Egyptian, you know, come on. Man. What's your problem? Verse 33, the men had been seated before him in order of their ages first from the firstborn to the youngest and they looked at each other in astonishment. When portions were served to them from Joseph's table, Benjamin's portion was five times as much as anybody else's, so they feasted and drank freely uh, with him. Yeah, the favoritism thing—it's back, um, but for a really cool reason. And I think you're going to see something new here. So more testing, and happy to say, the brothers are are passing now. They're they're growing. You see some maturity. They're not there yet. They need one more uh, master stroke. And then they'll be there. But they're taking responsibility for their wrongdoing. They're confessing their sins along the way, trying to do the right thing, returning the silver, and all of that. So Joseph comes back from his unexplained absence. I don't know. Did he tell them, you know, uh, sorry, I had to take a call? Or, you know, thought I heard somebody knock? I'm expecting a FedEx delivery. I don't know. Uh, Hein, don't laugh. I don't mind. <laughs> the meal is served, he says. And a couple things to notice. God makes sure that they're seated in order in which they were born. Something that only God would know. They don't know Joseph's in the room. So they have to know. There's no This, this is, can't be a coincidence. How is this possible? There's 12 of us. There's 11 of us now. What, how is this possible? Right? So they look at each other astonished because they know God is speaking. God, what, did, what was God saying by seating them all in order through Joseph like that? He's saying, listen up, it's me. I'm behind the whole thing. I've got your number. I've always had your number. I've always known what you did. I saw what you did. And I'm the one who's leading you through this ordeal to help you to repent. I know the truth, and I want you to know it too. And if you're hoping for a happy ending, uh, best be looking to me, the one who knows when you were born and how you have lived. So uh, they know they're being called on the carpet. There's that cognitive dissonance that I like to mention. So, you know, there's this, you know, the governor's steward is sweet talking them, and the prime minister himself is whining and dining them. They're in the lap of luxury during a famine, and, and when they know and they're coming to the realization that God knows and that they deserve the gallows. So, what are we doing here uh, being served and having such favor? So, one writer said. God's perceived undeserved mercies to us will do more to affect change in our hearts than painful outward circumstances could ever do. Now notice verse 34, this is interesting. Benjamin has shown favoritism, but over the top. Not twice as much food, that would be a lot. Not three times, five times? That's a statement to provoke them to a test because we're going to recreate the scene of the crime. We're going to now, instead of Joseph's favorite boy, we're going to have Benjamin in your faces. He's a favorite. Ah, let's see how they do uh, there. Well, they do pretty good, because they eat and drink freely with Joseph. There's no mention of uh, snide, Remarks or rolling their eyes, uh, they seem to be coming along. And so God's got one last test now with Benjamin, the feeling of favoritism in the room, and here we go, the hardest test of all. Uh, Chapter 44, verse 1 through 5. Now Joseph gave these instructions to the steward of the house, Phil, the guy's sacks with as much food as they can carry and put each man's silver in the mouth of the sack. Here we go again, round two. Then put my cup, the silver one, in the mouth of the youngest one's sack, <laughs> along with the silver for his grain. And he did, as Joseph said, as morning dawned, the men were sent on their way with their donkeys They had not gone far from the city when Joseph said to his steward, go after those men at once, and when you catch up with them, say to them, why have you repaid good with evil? Isn't this the cup my my master drinks from and also uses for divination? This is a wicked thing that you've done. So one more masterpiece. It's a true blow indeed, right? But something beautiful is going to snap within them. They're going to break. God's going to get his way right here with this test. So the test is this. Are they going to abandon Benjamin, the favored son? Should it come down to his life or theirs? And that's what it's going to come down to. So that's why favoritism was put in their faces to stir that whole thing up again, to see Joseph is going to test his brother's concern and loyalty to Benjamin by framing Benjamin and blaming him for stealing that cup which is going to prompt the brothers to either fess up and then stick up for him or throw him under the bus. There it is. Let's reenact the situation and see if you've learned your lesson because that's true repentance. True repentance isn't saying, oh, I'm so sorry we did that to you. The proof of true repentance is given the same situation again. Are you going to repeat it? Or did you repent from it? You see? So the silver cup planted in Benjamin's belongings uh, and they head home. The steward is hot on the tail there and he's told to say, how could you do such a thing? We treated you pretty nicely and you return the favor by stealing the cup. Now why does he kind of add the fib? Joseph's not a sorcerer. He adds a little bit of a fib and says, oh, and by the way, you guys think, you know, you could steal something from the table like that? Tableware silverware uh, it, it wasn't your ordinary drinking cup that you stole it's the uh, the divination cup was the sorcerers would pour into water oil, and the way that it's separated'd make different designs, and then they'd interpret the design in a yes or a no to a question or what it uh, looks like a happy. Response or a sad one. They pretty had they had a lot of license to do with whatever they wanted since it was all fake anyway. Right? (laughs) So that's what it was. And so you didn't just take a drinking cup that we could replace like that. It's the cup he uses to make decisions about the nation. And they shut her. They get the heebie-jeebies. Well, and you guys thought it was no big deal to take home a little souvenir. Well, you know. Stop and drop your sacks here, verses 6 through 10. When he caught up with them, he repeated the words to them. But they said, why does my Lord say such things, for be it from your servants to do anything like that? We've been brought back to you from the land of Canaan, the silver we found inside the mouths of our sacks. Why would we go and steal silver or gold from your master's house? If any of your servants is found to have it, he will die. The rest of us will become your slaves. Very well then, he said, Let it be as you say. Uh, Whoever is found to have it will become my slave. The rest of you, you'll be free. You guys can go home. And so they make their defense. Verses seven and eight there. Uh, None of us would ever do such a thing. Does it make any sense? Come on. We brought back the silver and then we steal silver? Doesn't make any sense, does it? And then he says, He's bold. He's kind of, he's so sure. None of us, we wouldn't do that. Maybe we would have done it 20 years ago. But we wouldn't do it now when God's thumb is pressing the very life out of us. When you are under a heavy duty trial, you are on your best behavior, aren't you, Christian? Oh, I was talking to somebody who got diagnosed with a with a tumor, and it was a man who was struggling with lust. And he said, I'm healed. All I have to do is feel this. And it was pending. They were trying to figure out is this thing gonna kill him or not? He said, Would to God I could give this tumor to the struggling Christians out there who just can't seem to love their wife right or love their husband or submit to him. It's only if they're... That's how God has to do it with us. He has to hang us over some kind of open ravine. And we're swinging there by one rope and even we now we're still troublesome. We need to see the rope, on, uh, you know, kind of coming apart, and then we're like, okay, okay, okay. And isn't it amazing how easy it is to comply? Suddenly, oh, it's super easy, you know, when the thread is hanging over your head and you're feeling it, and you're like, oh, this is serious. Oh, suddenly, all oh, those sins aren't so important anymore, and all your priorities and all your struggles—it's so easy. That's why some of these things can happen. And we live in a world where a lot of that happens, and so it's not always tied there, but it's very useful. And so we ended there at verse 10. Very good. And so, uh, so here's what he's asking. Will you brothers go home a second time like you did with Joseph? You re- will you return to dad now without his sons, the favorite sons? You're free to go on with your lives, he says, but only after leaving your brother here for all intents and purposes as dead. 11 and following. We're almost done. Each of them quickly lowered his sack to the ground, (laughs) surely confident. Then the steward proceeded to search, and here it is again, always suspense, beginning with the oldest and ending with the youngest. And the cup was found in Benjamin's sack. What? At this they tore their clothes, that they all loaded their donkeys and returned to the city. Joseph was still in the house when Judah and his brothers came in, and they threw themselves to the ground before him again. Joseph said to them, What is this you've done? Don't you know that a man like me can find things out by divination? What can we say to my Lord, Judah replies? What can we say? There are no words. How can we prove our innocence? God has uncovered your servant's guilt. We are now my Lord's slaves. We ourselves and the one who was found to have the cup. Suspense has to build. That's how God is just going to pop everything and make it happen. So at long last, they have an epiphany here. They're just going to say it out loud to Joseph. Uh, uh, They begin screening the bags, beginning with the oldest, working down slowly the line to get to Benjamin. At last, one by one, descending in order. Wow. So if he takes a few minutes with everybody's sack, um, that's an hour, right? Sifting through Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judas, Dan, Naphtali, Gad. Asher, Issachar, Zebulun. And he says, who's next? There's a son. Is he missing? Is There's a brother. Who goes there? Oh, it's uh, the one who is no more. OK, let's skip him. That's what I imagine. I just, boom, all the way, you know. So let's get Benjamin. And then they open it up. And there it is, right? Nobody's breathing, right? They're all stunned. They can't believe it. They tear their robes as if somebody just died, because in a sense, somebody has died, Benjamin and all of them. So they get hauled back to the governor's estate, and Joseph reads them the riot act. Did you really think you could pull the wool over somebody like me? Come on. What would possess you to do such a thing? And here's the winning answer. We have no explanation, only a confession. We're guilty as charged before God. Does Joseph have to ask him, what are you guilty of? That's what they're guilty of. Right. We are your servants, even though they were told, and here's why they have come to true repentance. They were told... Only the thief stays. Y'all can go. But they said, No, we're staying here with our brother. 17 through 20, we're almost done. I'm just going to read through uh, some of these words. But Joseph says, Oh no, far be it from me to do such a thing. Only the guy who's found to have the cup will become my slave. The rest of you go home to your father in peace. Bye. Then Judah went up to him and said, Pardon your servant, my lord, let me speak a word to you. Don't be angry with me, uh, though you're equal to Pharaoh himself. I get that. But my lord, uh, my lord asked his servants, let's start at the beginning here. This is why we have to stay and we're not leaving Benjamin behind. Uh, here's the story. You asked us, do, do you have a father or brother? And we answered, yeah, we have an old father. He's old now. And there's a young son born to him in his old age. His brother's dead. Oh, bing, there it is again. And he is the only one of his mother's sons left. And his father loves him. Yeah, oh, we'll pause there for just a second, and then we'll get to the speech and just read right through it. Uh, Joseph clarifies and says, gives him a chance to, to, to opt out, all right? And uh, you're all free to go. Go, you know, go back to your happy lives in Canaan without Rachel's first son, who you disposed of, and without Rachel's second son, who you could abandon here. So the choice is yours. Round two, let's see how you do. What are you going to do? And so Judah tells the story. You know, he, he says, you know, he tells the story. Uh, our dad had a wife who bore him two sons. One is dead. <laughs> and we've just admitted our guilt in that. And the other one is left. The, the mom died giving him uh, birth and now the father is holding on uh, to the son for dear life now we read to the, just the end of the chapter here verse 21 then you said to your servants bring him down to me so I can see him for myself and we said to my lord the boy can't leave his father if he leaves him the father will die But you told your servants, unless your youngest brother comes down with you, you'll not see my face again. When we went back to your servant, my father, we told him what my Lord had said. Then our father said, go back and buy a little more food. But we said, no, we can't do that. Only if our youngest brother is with us, we will go. We cannot see the man's face unless our youngest brother is with us. Verse 27. Your servant, my father, said to us, you know that my wife bore me two sons. One of them went away from me. Oh, there it again. And I said, he has surely been torn to pieces, and I have not seen him since. If you take this one from me too and harm comes to him, you bring my gray head down to the grave of misery. You'll notice they're very, very truthful. They, he is not exaggerating. He's not omitting. He's telling the truth because he's, he's right with God right now. If you take this one from me too, my dad said, and harm comes to him, you're going to bring my gray head down to the grave in misery. So now if the boy's not with us, when I go back to your servant, my father, and if my father, whose life is closely bound up with the boy's life, sees the boy is up there, he's going to die. Your servants will bring the gray head of our father down to the grave in sorrow. Your servant guaranteed the boy's safety to my father, I said, if I do not bring him back to you, I will bear the blame before you all my life. 33. Now then, please let your servant remain here. Let me stay here as my Lord's slave in the place of the boy and let the boy return with his brothers. How can I go back to my father if the boy is not with me? No, do not let me see the misery that would come on my father here's their report card one take responsibility for the crime and for your sin check a plus we have no words of explanation guilty as charged a plus sympathy empathy compassion for their dad a plus love and a willingness to sacrifice his own life, Judah speaking, and I think they're all in this. They're saying, we're not going anywhere without our brother Benjamin. It's a package deal, you see. But when he says, take my life in exchange for his, um, I can't see my father suffer that way. I'll trade my life for his. I'll take the rap, let him go free. Judah, in Jesus' human side, Judah is his great-grandfather, times many generations. Jesus, on his human side, is blood directly related to Judah. And out of Judah's mouth comes, I'll take the rap, you let him go, take me instead. Which is exactly what Jesus will say in the Garden of Gethsemane. you got me, you've arrested me, take me, let them go and as a play on words the word to let go is the same word to forgive it means to be let go of your sins you see so hear this beautiful story now and they have passed the test and uh i i just can't tell you how wonderful it is to see that they reach the understanding that God has been trying to get them the whole time is to uh, feel responsibility for their sin turn from it and uh, repent and now it's time I mean drum roll please it's the moment you've been waiting for it's the big reveal here it is oh Unbelievable. Now, you all want to see Joseph reveal himself because that's the whole fun, right? So, guess what you have to do? You have to. Yeah. Oh, that was hilarious. She goes, We got to come next week. <laughs> yeah, you do. All right. All right, let's pray together. God, thank you for your love. God, thank you for. I mean, these words are like 3,000 years, uh, 3,500 years ago. Just amazing how they're so relevant, these words. God, we just thank you for your spirit among us and how we learned about being honest with you, living upright and repentance and faith and that, having an, a good outlook on life. So help us, God, and to get us prepared for the big uh, the big reveal next week. And still, what is there, are four more chapters left. There's so a lot going on. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to The Rocks Podcast. Our regular services are held on Sunday mornings at 8, 9.30, and 11.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you'd like to learn more, please visit our website at cctherock.org.